Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our studio on the road. We are briefly on the road at a campground not near you because it's pretty empty. (laughs) Unbelievable, in the middle of June. We're in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Those of you who are not Midwesterners may not know about the claim to fame of Lake Geneva. Uh, this has been a very fancy resort town since the Chicago Fire in the 1870s. Once a railroad spur was built up here, all of uh, Chicago's glitterati came up here and built palatial homes. We were on a boat tour yesterday, and the narrator called it the Newport of the Midwest. So that's a good way to think about it. But if you are in the area, it really is not all that exciting. <laughs> It's a, it's, well, it's a, kind of like us from Chicago. We kind of come up here for a brief respite, but it's not really a world-class place to visit. It's a family vacation place. Yes. It is nice, and they have uh, a nice lake, a freshwater lake, of course, that's uh, decent-sized. It's deep and glacier-fed or no, spring-fed. No, underground springs. Yes, well, anyway, it has a lot of appeal, but uh, in the middle of the summer, it's still very warm. They do have some beaches, but the beaches here you have to pay for. I mean, in Florida, you have to pay to park. Here, you have to pay to park and pay to go to the beach. Oof. That hurts. So, because we're cheap, we didn't go to the beach. We just looked at it. While Your RV navigators are cheap. Us? While we're talking about ripoffs, we oh. have to add that we have not camped in a Wisconsin state park oh, yeah. in a long time. And we suspected, because Michigan does this too, that not only do you pay the camping fee, uh, which isn't cheap for no, a site with no. just electricity. $33. And then you have to, we have to pay, as out-of-staters, $11 a day for, for our, our toad. toad. Which puts the price right up there with commercial campgrounds. Now, I, I would say that uh, this site is nicer than in a commercial campground. Mm because state parks generally give you a little more vegetation and space It's larger sized, but it's not a nicer site. Uh-huh. It doesn't have a cement pad. It has a we nice fire a, ring and that and sort table. of stuff. Yeah. And a table. But, I mean, it's not luxurious for $44, do- $44 a night. Right. So a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to always camp in, in state parks uh, because it's inexpensive and it's the way to go. But when you think about it, uh, it it has some drawbacks. And these days, the states are very interested in recuperating the money. So they do charge you for the privilege of staying in their parks. And in Michigan, we found that you have to pay for not only your towed or your tow vehicle, but you also have to pay for the RV as a entrance fee. So we felt that it was discriminatory against motorhomes as opposed to the fifth wheel, which we had been pulling when we used to camp in Michigan. Any motorized vehicle had to pay. So we haven't been back to a Michigan state park since? Even though the Michigan state parks are pretty nice, uh, once again, just electric in most cases, fairly decently sized sites, but uh, they just are too expensive and and not worth the money. And I really don't like getting ripped off like that. Anyway. The other thing that was very odd when we arrived here on a Tuesday was that there was no one... 
only were there no no other campers here, hardly, but there were no <sighs> gate staff or people to check that you were parking in the right place or giving you a stick. There sticker. was no help at all. And we went in and out numerous times. I must admit on the air that that saved us from paying the $11 the first day we were here. You cheated? Um, oh, no. But apparently Mondays and Tuesdays are low incidence population days, and so that's when they give and their staff the day off, and there just wasn't anybody and here. here. We are in a nice state park in Wisconsin, and it's less than half full in the middle to the end, well, right at the end of June. As I mentioned before, we made our reservation online, and when I made the reservation back in March, um, thinking that it would be packed up and it would be full of people by the time we got there, um, no problem. But when you made the reservation, we couldn't have stayed on a Saturday night, right? It was. I'm expecting it'll still know. be. Well, full we're not going to be weekend. here on a Saturday. Night, I know, but, but I think it was full on Saturday. I remember you saying. Yeah, but even in the middle of the week, you'd think everybody talks about how hard it is to get camping reservations, and here it is. That's because working people come on the weekend, and working people, when but they people take just, a vacation, want to be somewhere on the weekend, and that's when the, these parks get full. Anyway, you're listening to the RV Navigator. For July 2019, episode 171. And we want to definitely encourage you to take a look at our wallpaper calendar this month and uh, download it to put it on the, on the wallpaper of your computer or your iPad or your laptop or whatever you have because it's a great picture. And I want you to take a look at that picture and see what I've done to it. Oh, I haven't looked at it. What did you do that? Will somebody notice the manipulation that has been? Oh, I'll notice. Because I was there when you took it. I don't think so. Oh, okay. It's very much of a secret. But today we're going to talk a little bit about photography and uh, how we use photography. Um, So stay tuned because we have an exciting episode coming up with lots of interesting topics to talk about, including our upcoming travels. We're here in Wisconsin because it's not well, you know, a long we are, under, we are under attack again. Again, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if we talked about this. We were in the Laurel Highlands <laughs> area of Pennsylvania on our way home from Florida, and we're on constant attack, attack from a robin. And at that point, I chalked it up to early spring testosterone poisoning. But we Early are, spring testosterone? But if, we are under attack here You as accuse well. me of that. <laughs> and this time it's a cardinal. Who has been pecking have, our windows incessantly since oh, we've for, been here. Can, can you believe that? Sitting on our mirrors and pecking on them. Occasionally pooping on our car, which is... Occasionally? Part, the car is full of poop. But it's one single male cardinal that incessantly, as she says, just blasts its head into the windows. And not just one window. The windshield, the side windows, the side of the... And right now, I can see this cardinal attacking. If Why? We, if we listen carefully, we might hear the peck, peck, pecking. <laughs> so if you hear, yes, what sounds like, yes, somebody crashing into the side of the motorhome, that's probably the bird doing that. So don't be alarmed. We are alarmed, but uh, we'll leave that to the bird. <laughs> Whose head is not going to... It's like we are... It's not like the site has never been used. I don't. I don't know. Does somebody have an explanation? Well, I, I googled around, and testosterone poisoning was the best explanation yeah, I could find. But it's the middle; it's the end of June. You would and think. It, this is a cardinal. I've never seen. Well, we have cardinals at home, and they don't do this. We have robins at home, and they don't do this. So there's probably somebody out there listening who can tell us what the deal is with birds and why they pick at our RV. This is, I mean, this is getting annoying. The second time that's happened. 
you have to stop making it so shiny and clean. Because our neighbor who has a white trailer is not getting attacked as far as I can see. I think it's the dark color or or the the shininess. Running your head into the windows? Seems like a bad idea. (laughs) I've been accused of that many times. As I was starting to say, we've come here for a few days uh, because it's not too far from our home and because we have learned the hard way that it's a good idea to move our RV just as we are trying to keep moving our old bones on a daily basis. (laughs) And sure enough, when we got here, uh, two of the slides did not come out immediately and Ken had to hotwire one of them and the other one we both had to shove from the inside (laughs) to get it going. So again, a word to the wives, those of you who are not able to travel as much as we do try to take some time at least on a weekend to get your rig out and make sure that things all are the still components still moving work. yes and you know things need to be lubricated the air conditioners need to be run the water pump needs to be run the valves need to be opened and shut and you know just things checked out to make sure that and the batteries checked uh so we kind of try to take this midsummer trip even though as you know we are not uh summer travelers because we leave anymore the, because we leave the summer to our friends uh, with families and kids. But we do take it out uh, for a brief trip just to kind of exercise it, is what I call it. The engine, too, of course. And I'm happy to report that the ant infestation that we were suffering from, (laughs) that we brought with us from Florida, uh, once we got all the food out of here... Let's air everything out. (laughs) Ants seem to have wandered off or died or whatever. Um, I'm a live and let live sort of person, but I don't like ants in my kitchen. Well, and I'm going to let it, we're going to bring it back to Illinois in the wintertime so that we will get a a good freeze to get rid of all the bugs. Something we can do, and I'm doing on purpose. We could leave it in Florida, but uh, nope, we're going to bring it home, let it freeze, and then drive it back to Florida in January. So that's going to be an exciting adventure because we don't know about the weather in January, but we think it's worth it to... (laughs) I am going to winterize it. We'll see if it was worth it. Well, there are no bugs. Well, there are none now. Well, the question is whether we can get back to Florida. That's the question. Oh, yes. Well, all these decisions we have to make. I have fond memories of leaving Illinois right after Christmas yes. when it was four below. So now was... you're making me reconsider what I I know. It's, it's, it's a crapshoot. While we're on the subject of repairs, we're also looking forward to another exciting uh, <laughs> side trip to Napanee. I'm sure I've ranted and raved before about the problem that we are having and that what's many other people are having, which is the delamination of our leatherette uh, covering (laughs) on our furniture. Um, Apparently there was a time period when our coach was being manufactured, when all the RV makers moved from the Japanese fabric (laughs) manufacturer to a Chinese manufacturer, and um, everybody's furniture is disintegrating. We've always called it Naugahyde, but this is cheap Naugahyde. Yeah. So we have an appointment in Napanee um, at the home of our coach's manufacturer where we're replacing the two easy chairs, the recliners, and more problematically, we are getting slip covers made for our captain's chair and the Chairs. navigator's yeah. chair. Yeah. Um, this is scheduled to take about a week and cost a lot more than I care to think about. Um, our coach is too old to be under warranty. Yeah. And uh, this is the solution we hope will solve the problem. Uh, we are not replacing our couch because we hardly ever sit on it. And we will continue to hardly ever sit on it and make sure 
last while we are still here in this coach. Because these these replacements is are, is costing us uh, five grand or so. So this is not an inexpensive decision to make. But they're just falling apart, and not only do they look bad, but they're becoming dysfunctional. So whew, I, I I don't know what I don't know. You know, this is supposed to be a quality coach and things and uh, quality manufacturer, but they certainly made a mistake here. And, and as I, she said, this is not the first. We're not the first ones to report this. I don't know how you avoid this kind of thing. People are always talking about shoddy workmanship and shoddy uh, manufacturing, and this is an example of that. And I don't know. know. It's always a compromise for RV manufacturers because people are very price conscious. And if you put too much pricey stuff in your coach, you really reduce the buying pool i guess but this is say. a pricey coach yeah <laughs> i mean that's the yeah. that's the whole bottom yeah. line here it, it's been a real frustration and so we're, what we're doing because numar is only two and a half hours away so we have the luxury and option of just driving it down there leaving it for the time period that it's going to take because it's going to take about a week for this operation and then they're going to uninstall the chairs recover them reinstall them back into the coach and then we'll come back in a week and pick it up this it's a major hassle and uh i don't we don't know how to fix this oh there's the cardinal again when we were in florida we talked to other rv furniture people and Mm -hmm. they told us similar things um with tiffin it's a common universal problem for upscale coaches as well as and i don't economical in terms of buying i don't know what to what to tell people you know (laughs) the fabric looked fine and has looked fine but all of a sudden it's just started to deteriorate and our coach is a 2012 and here it is 2019 so just a few years and it's It's been bad for two years my chair in particular yeah so watch out for that we hope this um, time schedule with Numar works out well because, <laughs> yes, because the day tight. after we go pick up the coach, we're scheduled to leave the country. Yes, uh, at the beginning of August, we'll be headed to the Galapagos. <gasps> Where are the Galapagos? They are about a two-hour flight west of Ecuador. In the Atlantic Ocean. In the Pacific Ocean. In the Pacific Ocean. And because Ecuador is the closest land to them, that's who they belong to, and you can't fly directly to the Galapagos without going to Ecuador first. So while we're there, we're also doing a little trip to the Amazon, a little trip to the Andes, in our usual, once you're there, you do a lot more stuff than you planned on originally sort of way. We will be doing a pretty good job of Ecuador, I guess. And the Galapagos are where Darwin invented the theory of evolution. Yeah. So you see a lot of interesting animals and things. And of course, this brings up the idea, I've been preparing the idea of what kind of photography equipment do you need? To be honest, the reason we are going to the Galapagos is because (laughs) we have been there once before in 2002, and this was probably when we got our very first digital equipment, and we had very wonderful photographic experiences there, but But the quality of the photographs taken during that time are not up to our standards. I thought that that was the the transition to digital, but uh, and I didn't take... I think we took both a film and a digital camera, but I don't know where the film is. But the digital pictures just didn't turn out well. You know, it was the back in the days when you had two or three megapixels and very simple cameras. So 
we're going back in order to re-photograph all the things that we missed on the last time. I'm very curious how the Galapagos have dealt with the constant tourist pressure, which is mm -hmm. happening in many parts of the world, where a place gets some fame and everybody wants to go see it, and then they smother it to death with their love. And certainly when we were there in 2002, it felt like a very empty, desolate place, both the big town that we left from on our boat and all the islands were very wild and very unpeopled. We've read that over the years um, a lot of people come there and stay in resorts and day trip to the various islands that are part of the chain, uh -huh. uh, which was not going on when we were there. At least we were not aware of it. And I'm wondering how this will change the flavor and character of the place. Because everybody needs to make a buck. I understand that. But it was such a precious place to be. I remember calling it the Garden of Eden when we were there because the animals were so unafraid and unaware of people and is, it's it made watching cool. them and being with them a very unique experience and being a photographer it, you just get pictures that you just wouldn't ever get a chance to to take because you can walk right up to birds literally feet away and they pay no attention to you because they've had no negative in, in, interactions with humans so all of the animals the, and they take great care to make sure that you don't interact with them a lot like what we saw when we were um, on our last trip which was where in antarctica <laughs> in antarctica the, the animals and the you know the penguins there just didn't pay any attention to you and the galapagos is, is very much the same way except that it's warm uh, we're going on a 17 passenger cruise ship ship. Uh, I don't know if you call that a cruise ship. So that you get off in Zodiacs again and you roam around and take pictures uh, at will of animals very close up so you don't need that super long zoom lens, which is uh, uh, an exciting proposition. And here I am going off and talking about birds again. I'm going to see <laughs> the famous blue-footed booby. Second time in this podcast before talking about birds. Oh my god. What kind of person am I becoming? <laughs> A tainted techie. A tainted, oh, a tainted techie. Well, this is very interesting because I've been thinking actually for several months about all the photography stuff, that I, cameras and stuff. I want to take something light. I, I don't want to be burdened down with heavy uh, equipment, so I'm not taking a DSLR. But I want a lens that has uh, quality and a camera that has quality. And Martha's been thinking about hers. And, and uh, for Antarctica, she bought a new camera that served her well. And then we have a friend who is going to be traveling with us who is kind of deciding whether he even wants to take a camera. <laughs> I don't know. Well, to be fair, a lot of people don't take good pictures. A lot of people find they, what that do you mean? taking pictures not? is a burden. Uh, they would rather be looking at and enjoying the scenery. I would say for me, being married to an ardent photographer, I spend a lot more time looking than photographing because I'm waiting for you, who continues to photograph. And, and that's been a good thing because it's made me stop and be more observant and notice things rather than on to the next, on to the next. So why should you take your camera rather than just using your cell phone? Because it takes much better pictures. Well, what, what, why? You can compose them better. You can control the lighting better. You can zoom in closer. 
Because on the Antarctic trip, there were tons of people just taking just, just with their cell, cell phone. phone. And with that, to me, although cell phones these days take decent pictures, certainly better than the pictures we took the last time we were in the Galapagos, but they just don't match up when you consider having a real camera. And they're really good under perfect lighting conditions, yes. but often there aren't perfect lighting conditions. And I think you need a viewfinder and an LCD in order to take the best pictures. Do you use your viewfinder a lot? Always. Yes. So these days, cameras have EFVs, electronic viewfinders, and that's looking through the lens, but it's at your eye so that it's not washed out by the sun, and you can see, there's that bird again, um, and you can see exactly what you're taking and frame it perfectly because you're looking through the lens. The LCD, I use that all the time, and especially I especially like the LCD on my camera because it's articulated, which means that you can flip it open, you can hold the camera down low and look down into the LCD and uh, get that unique angle that you can't get with other displays and, and do a good job of framing it. To me, you also need image stabilization, which most uh, cell phone cameras don't have. You need lots of pixels. Depends what you're going to do with the pictures. Mostly I put mine on my blog, and then it's on the web and small, so I, I think I waste the, the pixels that I have. It helps me but, to be able to crop. There and you still go. Have Why do you want like picture? lots of pixels? Because it looks like you have a zoom lens when you don't. <laughs> I have a zoom lens. I know, but I need a zoomier lens, especially with animal photography. And with a regular camera, you get a zoom lens almost always, and your zoom lens is really a zoomer. Sometimes not enough. <laughs> She has like a 500-millimeter zoom on her camera, uh, an equivalent, a 35-millimeter equivalent of a 500-millimeter, which allows you to get those close-up pictures that you just can't get with your cell phone camera. And just overall, when I'm taking a picture of something, I want to capture what I think I'm seeing. And when you get home and your photographs are disappointing and don't convey the experience that you had when you were there, then your equipment isn't up to snuff. Or maybe your photography skills are not up to snuff either. Well, I think that having good equipment allows you to be creative. One other thing you need is a large sensor. Where you don't want a sensor that's the size of your little finger, fingernail. Um, we have on our cameras one-inch sensors, which are dramatically larger, which gives you better quality pictures, better quality starting point from uh, to edit your pictures. And I also think that uh, the cameras give you um, better quality movies. And we, videos, we're yeah. more and more videos. Well, we're, people were doing videos with their cell phones too, but again, yeah, quality again, is going to be the issue. Thing. And yeah. when you zoom on your cell phone, you're just eliminating pixels around the outside and and making the pixels in the middle bigger. So you don't don't you really have quality. The, you don't have the the zoom capability. There is no such thing. You want what's called optical zoom rather than digital zoom. So we take our cameras and we enjoy that, and we also take along some hardware so that we can work on the pictures while we're on the road. And this gives us several interesting capabilities, which I think you need to think about as you're traveling, whether it's in... Are you hearing this bird? <laughs> I hear him. You hear, Crashing you hear against him, the window. Oh, there he goes. And he just crashed into the window. I just can't... It's like suicidal. Sit. It's suicidal. He's sitting. We bring along a fair amount of hardware. And on a trip like our Galapagos trip, this always causes dilemmas. Because yes. we're supposed to travel light, and we're probably not going to have but one 
electrical outlet between us. You want to bring as little as possible, but what does that mean? I think if I was a working person who took two-week vacations, I would probably wait to process my pictures until I get home. But, but as we take long trips, it's very easy to lose track of where you were, what it was. And I like the immediate feedback of looking at the pictures I took that day and seeing what I didn't like about them and trying to think about how I can improve them for the next day. Exactly. And I think that we bring along with us <laughs> a computer, an iPhone, an iPad for each of us. So we have six devices. Well, so now we have iWatches, so those have to be charged. So this might not be for you, but we do carry along all this equipment. And some things you might want to consider uh, when you're talking about uh, bringing along equipment on your trip. Of course, in the RV, it doesn't make any difference. We bring along the stuff plus more. But when you're traveling uh, in a small space, you might want to think about some of these things. It allows us to organize as we go. We use software. We, we import the pictures. We sort them, give them keywords, give them ratings, all sorts of things that uh, keep us organized. And by the time we get home, the pictures are in usable shape. And inevitably, somebody says to us as we pull into the driveway, oh, can I see your pictures? And then yes. you at least and that's have, when you want to look at them the most. And then you at least have some, some sort of order that you can choose from the 20,000 pictures you took on that trip to share an experience that is watchable. The slideshow for Antarctica was done almost immediately when we got home so that uh, we can show it to folks and they're interested in seeing our pictures. And even some of our listeners enjoyed looking at the slideshow. That's right. That's right. It allows us to back up so that by bringing equipment along, you can have duplicates of your pictures as an archived in case something happens. I can't tell you how many times I have worked with somebody who stored 12,000 pictures on their one memory card that they brought along, and it's always in their camera. And if something goes wrong with that card, they've lost all of their pictures and more because they just they didn't do any sort of backup. These days, of course, on your iPhone and other things, it backs up to the cloud. But if you're in the Galapagos, that isn't going to happen. So you need to have some way to let the software back it up automatically locally. So I carry at least two copies of everything that we've taken. Yours and mine. I, I back up my own, but I don't back up yours. Not while we're underway. And in the end, we combine them into one right. library so that it, it all works together. And we let the software do the work. Um, we experiment with various kinds of software, but software <laughs> does so many cool things these days. There are so many cool filters that you can play with to make your pictures uh, even better. And if you take a look at this time's calendar... Yes. <laughs> Should I stop I'm, and look at it right now? No. Well, no. But but. All right, I'll do that. <laughs> this the July calendar. You might question where I took that picture or how I took that picture, but of course it all starts with the camera, and you have to have a quality camera. And I don't think that the iPhone or the phones are quality enough to really take good pictures. Lenses are important for quality photo. No question about that. There's more to ph photography than selfies. We have a friend who insistently takes selfies in front of every building in the world, and we're saying, why not take a picture of the building? <laughs> we know what you look like. It's so boring. That and the other thing that really bores me is people who take pictures of everything they eat. Yes, occasionally you might have a special <laughs> meal or your beloved husband makes you a beautiful birthday cake or there's something that you want to document and remember. But your anniversary? Oh, my God. 
but overall, you just don't need pictures of food. Well, you don't need to share with other people. If you want to take them, that's fine. It's redundant to say this because it's been in the news so much, but a lot of selfies have caused people to die. And oh, they've yeah. gone, oh. they put themselves in foolish, oh, dangerous yeah. positions. And I think it's Instagram that makes people want to go to certain special places to get their picture taken in front of those special places. And they've had to close some of them because yes. they've been so overrun with people. It's not always a blessing. This is interesting. I'm having a revelation on the air. Oh. Why do you take pictures? Do you take them for you or do you take them to share with other people? Ooh. I take pictures to remember. Now that we have lost both of our mothers who were our most enthusiastic <laughs> photographic fans and love to travel vicariously with us, um, I am very delighted when someone wants to see my pictures, but I don't assume that anyone wants to sh see my pictures. And of course, for me, the outlet that is most important is my blog, where I kind of try to document the day and what the experience was like being wherever we were. Um, it's kind of weird to be here in Lake Geneva which is a touristic place and not be blogging because we're only here for a few days and who cares because it totally turns me off from taking pictures so I do like sharing I guess that's what I would say and I would say so. if you take lots of pictures for yourself then take lots of selfies but if you're taking them for other people to me I take them for the opportunity to post them and share with lots of people or for archiving the and, future. And I don't you, know. Oh, you try to make them as art artistic and beautiful quality photos as so that possible. I, I call them the money shots. Um, Even though you never make any money from them. I'm looking at my retirement. <laughs> <laughs> there you'll be in the nursing home. Editing pictures. <laughs> I want to have the raw material so that I can make lots of pictures. And these days, posting them online and selling them online would be a great opportunity. Even from your nursing home. If you're going to take pictures for popular consumption, composition is also another topic. Now, you take a look at the picture, this, this month's yeah. calendar shot. How is it composed? When you choose pictures for your calendar, you always need to have a blank spot where oh, yeah. you put the calendar. But but we're not looking at that. This is a wonderfully composed picture. Because? The leading line into the horizon. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, you need to think about composition and unusual angles. And take lots of pictures. And it's always been a, a bugaboo of mine that I could not take enough pictures because I was always working with 36 exposure rolls of film. And now that I have digital where I can shoot unlimited pictures, we regularly shoot hundreds of pictures. It used to be we measured the quality of a sightseeing attraction by how many rolls of film we shot in the day. And to shoot three rolls in a day... It was a big deal. A very big deal. Inexpensive. Today, for me to shoot 500 or 1,000 pictures, no problem. They, you get better pictures if you shoot a lot of pictures. Now, this picture in the calendar, I shot probably 50 pictures. Really? <laughs> I think I did two. <laughs> so you don't buy into my philosophy of taking lots of pictures to get good pictures. I took a picture to convey the scene so I could put it in the blog that day. So we obviously have some different goals here. <laughs> But you take quite a few pictures. Yes. Uh, you should also take a look at the golden hour. When's the golden hour? Right after sunrise and right before sunset. And if you look at the July calendar? It's one of those two times. <laughs> <laughs> and if you know us at all, you know it's sunset. Because <laughs> we don't get up for sunrise. <laughs> I did when I did Mono Lake. I was there in the dark. Yeah, you were. 
So you I, often talk I, about a, it, but I'm you a, rarely do it. I'm a dedicated photographer. Well, at sunset. <laughs> but what's the difference between a sunset and a sunrise? Not much. Well, the golden hour is a pain in the neck for me because it's always when I'm sleeping or when I'm trying to make dinner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a very completely photographer. <laughs> And I'm much more dedicated. You're much more serious than I am, that's for sure. Uh, I would also like to mention something that changed our photography, and that's HDR, high dynamic range. You'll find on your cell phone that it has an HDR option, and you've probably just blasted right by it. But another word for HDR is bracketing. Something else I could never do when I shot with film because bracketing meant that you had to take at least three pictures at different exposures so that you could choose the best one in the end. Now, these days, many cameras shoot HDR. They shoot an exposure, a properly exposed, an overexposed, and an underexposed picture just rapidly in, a, in succession and then combine them in software to get a broader dynamic range. And what this allows you to do is to take what ordinary pictures see as just clouds in the sky but no details in the clouds and bring out those details in the clouds, bring out the details in the bright areas, bring out the details in the shadows which often go black and it allows you to bring out those details making the picture much more vibrant. So, can you shoot HDR handheld? It used to be you couldn't because you had to take the camera, you had to take a picture, adjust the exposure, take a picture, adjust the exposure, take a picture and the picture had to be very static. These days, the cameras, my cameras, just go... Yeah, like rapid fire. So that I can take the pictures standing without a tripod or sitting or whatever, and the pictures turn out great because the software then can combine these pictures into a single image, and they compensate for slight movement or human breathing or whatever that causes the camera to move slightly. So HDR is one of those things which has uh, really transformed our photography. Makes me take a lot more pictures, but who cares? Even you take HDRs. I do. I just recently learned how because it was your pictures were just so dramatic. And it especially frustrated me when we were in bright light situations with deep shadows that I was losing half the picture, however I took it. I always d disliked cloudy days because the, it made the pictures kind of bland. But now you can take dramatic clouds, clouds. overcast, and, and make the clouds visible so that it adds drama to the picture rather than just uh, being kind of a wash like a snow in the... Well, yeah, you can also do the same thing with snow. What photography has taught us? Stop and pay attention and really look. I think it, it makes us slow down. I think photography is good for us because it makes us slow down. The beauty is in the details. <laughs> she often gets mad at me because I take pictures of bugs and, and flower buds and assorted little details, which you might not otherwise notice. No, what I get mad at is that you take <laughs> pictures of very ordinary flowers that we have in our yard that you don't even know are there. Uh -huh. I, don't, uh, I well. only take pictures of special flowers that are no, not I take pictures in of orchids and things? Not in my normal environment. Oh, jeez. So I should go out. I have gone out in our yard and taken pictures of details. So you can do this at home, even if you don't travel. And I learn from my mistakes. I look at my pictures, I say, oh, composition-wise, 
exposure-wise, whatever, I learn from that. And I also learned that it's okay to make mistakes because I can shoot digital and shoot as many pictures as I want so I can make some mistakes and still recover from them. The other thing that has been very liberating for me is all the good things you can do after you've taken the picture on your computer to improve a marginal situation and make it quite lovely and dramatic. And, of course, memories are made in photos. Most definitely. And we use our blog all the time to jog our To remember where we were. (laughs) And right now I'm in the process of digitizing all of my old slides. Um, It's about uh, 7,600 pictures that I have digitized. And it is a lot of fun to go back, look at those old memories and all the good times. Back as far as 1970. Yes, it's quite sad when Ken comes up, from the, white. comes up from the basement having spent a few hours duplicating our very oldest slides, and he keeps saying to me, you used to look so young. <laughs> I don't know quite how to respond to that, except I try real hard not to look in the mirror, I guess. <laughs> uh, so... We are actually thinking about reducing the amount of hardware that we bring along on a trip. You especially. I've already reduced. I have one tiny camera. No, I'm talking about bringing along your laptop and your... Just using the iPad. It's not quite there yet. Well, it's coming very soon. Because this month, I listened to the Apple... Uh, big event at the Worldwide Developers Conference, and they made some fabulous announcements. Not only is Apple going to be manufacturing or selling the highest power desktop computer that you can buy. You can't have it. I know. It starts at $6,000, and they're estimating that if you get it fully configured, that it's going to cost over sixty. You could buy a, a <laughs> nice RV for that. <laughs> well, it's obviously made for professionals. But it's a very cool machine called the Cheese Grater. (laughs) Anyway, at the same time, they announced that they're going to be splitting off the iPhone OS and the iPad OS. The iPad, uh, they've decided, actually has uh, some significant differences which require a different sort of OS, the operating system. The iPad has been limited for years, and we would love to use it as a nice photo editing option. But what's the biggest problem? You can't get your pictures into it. It's very hard. And then when they're there, you have to get them out again, too. And you have to get them out again. And they have locked up the file system. Uh, It's it's not like a desktop, so we always have had to carry along our desktop. Well, iPad OS, and there's a nice article that I'm putting into the notes for this month, is going to be the Surface Killer. Well, Apple is responding to the popularity. They've fallen behind. Yes, of the Surface, the uh, that's running Windows 10. Uh, that is a it is a tablet that is uh, very very popular and runs the complete operating system, which is Windows 10. So, what are they doing? Well, interestingly enough, I just downloaded the beta last night, and I've been using the beta of the new iPad OS, and one of the things that it has in it is a complete file system, so that you can use Lightroom, for instance, on your iPad and import the pictures directly, which is something you have not been able to do before. You're going to be able to hook up a external storage device like a flash drive or a USB drive and plug it in and save your pictures off to it. They've done lots of stuff to make the iPad much more viable. Plus, they've improved photos 
so that uh, it has more enhancement tools. And another cool feature is, is that you're going to be able to take your movies and change the exposure and fix the sharpness and crop them and that sort of stuff, just like you can with your, with your stills. So Apple is really stepping up to the plate and making the iPad a much more... Useful. Well, useful and much more like your laptop, which is cool. So maybe we won't have to bring along our laptops. So if you want to take a look at the iPad OS, it is available for public beta, and you can download it with the final version being available in the fall, probably. Well, we're always interested in what you think about uh, our topics, and in particular about photography. You, you know that I'm a fanatic. So Amen to that. you have to listen to some my ranting and raving about photography. But we know this is a podcast about RVing. But photography and RVing go hand in hand. Oh, there I go again. So Martha did get a very nice birthday present this year from her husband, no less. Ken struggles with what to give a woman who has more than she needs. And because as, Are you admitting that? As you well know, listeners, technology is his passion, and I go kicking and screaming into the future. So usually I get a technology present... You're not on board with my photography? ...that I don't often know what to do with or make of. So it took me ten minutes to see the practicality and utility of having a cell phone that's as small as the palm of my well, hand. Well, let's, let's preface this by saying that you are constantly talking about how you don't want a big cell phone. You're, well, I don't want to be loaded down with equipment. You don't want a big cell phone. And I have bought a fairly large screen iPhone, and you bought the very smallest screen iPhone, and you're always saying, it's too big, it's too big, I don't want such a big screen. Although, I mean, you'd like a big screen, but you don't want to have to carry it around. Well, sadly, my pockets are too full of me, and they don't have room for a cell phone. We were just watching TV today, and somebody was talking about their cell phone falling in the toilet from their pockets. And that's the kind of thing I'm trying to avoid. I see. So anyway, those of you who are in our Facebook group and have uh, looked at the posts have seen this wonderful phone that was given to me on my birthday. And I was just stunned when you ordered the um SIM card, which came loaded with now this, this, 500 minutes. This phone minutes. is about three inches long. It's it looks like it, it looks like a, an old cell flip phone, phone. Yeah. not a flip phone, but just an old cell phone. But if you just took a picture of it, you'd say, "Oh, that's just a cell phone." But when you put it in your hand, it fits in the palm of your hand. It's so small, and it is a phone. It, it does doesn't work. take pictures and do all that other stuff with apps. That it has a address book, and what. It only cost 20 bucks. <laughs> you spent a lot on my birthday, didn't you? Oh, I'm not supposed to tell you that. <laughs> the cool part about this whole thing is is that the, this cell phone that works and is very small but has decent battery life only cost 20 bucks. So you buy a SIM to put in it because that becomes, needless to say, SIMless. So I bought a SIM from T-Mobile, prepaid 250 minutes, uh, 250 texts and things, and you pay just for what you use. You drop the SIM in there and it works. We actually called ourselves. <laughs> it has a number and you can put it in your pocket and nobody would even know that the that this little phone is there because it doesn't have the, the bulge that a regular phone it does. It would actually fit in my pocket. And it has a nice little LCD screen, black and white, 
which shows you the number that you're receiving or that's calling you and the number that you're calling and it has a 250 capacity phone book it's got everything you basically need so while we're ranting and raving about my wonderful $20 birthday gift, perhaps we should also mention that I am deficient in the technology department when it comes to gifting. Oh. So Ken had to buy his own birthday present this year, which cost a hell of a lot more than $20. Well, we talked about this last time, but I bought the Oculus Quest, but now I've had a chance to use it. The Oculus Quest is a VR, virtual reality for... Uh, the rest of us, and it is the headset that has Wi-Fi connectivity and no other, no wires connected to it. And this is the thing that virtual reality has been waiting to happen. And to me, one of the coolest things is to use uh, the Google Earth 360. So you can type in the address of virtually any place in on the planet, and it will take you there in 360. And you can look up, down, around, three, turn your head 360 degrees. I'm actually sitting these days in a uh, office chair that spins around so that I can see the full 360. You can go to famous attractions like the Galapagos, or you can go to your house and see what's going on. Uh, now, this is not live, of course. These pictures are stills. But to be able to see locations in 360 is very cool. And it has no motion lag. You can turn your head and it moves just like that. I also bought a flight simulator, which I'm less than proficient at landing. <laughs> but you've had a lot of fun. But doing I've had it. a lot of fun traveling around. And once again, you're in a plane uh, in a cockpit and you can turn around and, and look 360 degrees, see the propeller spinning. You know, and it's not limited by by anything. You can just turn your head at any time and see, no matter what you're doing, you can see what's going on, see the controls there in front of you. Everything operates. It's just very cool. And it's reasonably priced. And it's standalone so that you can put it in a small case, take it with you in the RV, or take it with you to your neighbor's or friend's house or your family and let them experience it also because all it requires is Wi-Fi and of course it has some stuff some software built in but it's it's very cool and it's my impression you could spend a lot more money buying games and stuff but you really don't need to because there's so much on the web that's available there's a channel for free. There, there's a channel on YouTube called 360 and it has movies that are done in 360. I've been down to the African plains to watch elephants walk up to me and lions and all sorts of other animals. It's just a very cool experience because it's so real. And it's it, the, the quality is decent, so it, it, it gives you an interesting perspective on the rest of the world. The cool thing would be to take the pictures of my own. Oh, my. I can't imagine the equipment you would need for that. It's not big at More all. More stuff. Another DJI purchase, but mm. I don't know. It's uh, I'm thinking about it. I'm sure you are. Has the finance committee met? We don't know what the bottom My line is. My 49% may not prevail Does in this case. Does it cost more than $20? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Is $20 in tax? Well, this is obviously a topic for a future podcast. So uh, given that this is an RVing podcast, maybe we should talk about RVing oh, just really? a little bit. Well, we have been. RVing is uh, integrated with photography on a regular basis. Okay. So where do motorhomes go to die? Oh, this was a stunning video that um, these people did. They 
went to an RV junkyard that had, I think, 1,500 yeah. mostly motorhomes. All motorhomes. Nice motorhomes. Every make and model. And um, normally it's not open for people to come in and gawk. They got special permission to come in and film both with their still camera and with a drone. drone so you really yeah. get an impression not in 360, though. of um, this place in kentucky and its primary function is to like a junkyard if you need a piece from your rig that is um, no longer available under normal channels call them up and they seem to have amazingly good inventory control where they know what they have and where everything is and um it was kind of sad to see all these rvs that had refrigerator fires and were in accidents and yeah all of these rvs have been stripped of most of their important components but uh, in every town, there is a junkyard where the cars are junked and they take parts off of them to to resell. And this is just the same sort of concept, but for motorhomes. As she said, they have 1,500 motorhomes. So one of the nice things that you might want to, as a, as a listener to the RV Navigator podcast, is is that if you need a part for your old RV, you might find it here. These people, of course, ship things everywhere. But if you need a door or some special component, a mirror... I remember on our last rig when we had a tollway booth mishap with our mirror. A tollway mishap? What was that about? um, It was a large large crash, and then the mirror was dangling from (laughs) the wires. Well, the driver. Um, And I remember when I called and got a new one, they told me there were only eight left in the United States. And I thought, oh, my God, should I just buy them all up in case we need them? It's Um, $600 each. I don't think so. It's dismaying to hear, but it makes sense. Things change. So if you need a unusual part, and these folks were looking for a door for their basement, I don't think they found it, but somehow they got a, a tour of the place, and we're going to put the link, and you want it's just worth it to watch the video, video. because it's uh, interesting to see. They've been in, in accidents and fires, and well, not fires so much, because that would... Refrigerator fires, yeah, some of them. But they've stripped the engines out of them, and uh, the, there's a lot of useful components. Oh, in and blowouts. That was another big thing they said yeah, that yeah. caused accidents. Caused right. major destruction. Oh, there's the bird again. Bam. Jeez. So maybe while we're talking about refrigerator fires, uh-huh. we should talk about a new fridge that was made for the boating industry, with whom we have a lot in common, that runs without propane but solely on DC. Well, that that's, right? what's, that's what's very interesting about this this fridge. And this has probably been around for a long time. I just wasn't aware of it. But if you are looking to replace your refrigerator and you're reluctant to put in a residential refrigerator, uh, a lot of people are afraid that all of the, the bouncing down the road will cause uh, the home-type refrigerator to go bad. This is a, an 8 cubic foot, which is decent. It's It's the size of a lot of of RV fridges and it runs only on 12 volt and it has a compressor because you know that standard RV fridges are what are called absorptive fridges which means that it has basically no moving parts it has it uses um, compression of gas and expansion to cool and to um, remove the heat from the inside of the refrigerator and th- these cause problems or they've had problems but this is has a special rotary compressor which is supposed to be extremely efficient and therefore can run off of 12 volt batteries for a good long time as she said it's designed for use in a boat so that it has to be efficient and it's called vit refrigero 
V-I-T-R-I-F-R-I-G-O. That's the brand name. Okay. Vitrifrigigo. You'll put a link on the website. With the Danfoss swing compressor. And it's two doors, got a nice freezer, and eight cubic feet. So that sounds like uh, a, a possible winner. Also, if you have an absorptive refrigerator, you know, this is one of the biggest sources of fires in motorhomes. All RVs, right? Trailers have absorptive. Yes, all, uh, yes. The absorptive refrigerator. And what happens is, is that the tank overheats and then it causes a fire. And this has nothing to do with the recall that's so problematic. A lot of people say, well, I had a fire and it was a result of not having the recall. But the recall doesn't really solve that issue. It's The recall is not really not much of a of a solution for fires. This is the ARP control. It's wired to the back of a Norcol or Dometic refrigerator, and it monitors the refrigerator's boiler temperature. And that's a really good idea. If the temperature begins to rise out of a safe limit, the ARP shuts the refrigerator down. No excessive heat, no fire. But where does that leave my fridge full of food, you, you ask? ARP continuously monitors the temperature, and when the boiler temperature drops back down into a safe area, it turns the unit back on, and your refrigerator goes back to work cooling your food. So that seems like a really nice solution, and I doubt that it's that expensive. Are we talking about minutes of shutdown or hours of shutdown? Or? Um, I would say that shutting it down is probably an indication of a problem. <laughs> or so. that you're in the desert. I mean, it's hot in the summer in a lot of our country. Yeah, but this is hundreds of degrees. Mm-hmm. So this is... Or the sun is shining on no, your... No, I don't think that would impact it. Everybody has this tank, and what it does is monitor the refrigerant's temperature so that it doesn't get too hot. Because with the ba- basically the way an absorptive refrigerator works is, is that it has either a flame when it's on propane or it has an electric heating element when it's on electric, uh, and that heats this the fluid in the tank, which causes it to convect and to move around and to eventually cool off your inside of your refrigerator. If that tank gets too hot, what happens? Fire. Yeah, or it explodes. <gasps> right, so that... that More can, RVs in the graveyard. So I would seriously, looking at that, that, on our old refrigerator, on our old coach, we had an absorptive refrigerator, and I had a fire suppression system put in, like oh. a sprinkler system. So the refrigerator fires are probably the most common reason why a stationary RV has a fire. So, to end things off, we'll talk about the five apps that will make you money to pay for your traveling. Are we doing any of these? No. <laughs> but that doesn't... Uh, that's because I just found out about these. Well, Airbnb we knew about. Four out of the five I have never heard of. I've heard of gig work, too. Have you? Uh-huh. Another one is gig work. Well, we don't know whether it's gig work or gig walk. Large companies such as Red Bull and Whirlpool hire gig walkers. So it is gig walk. Mm-hmm. To complete simple tasks such as taking photos of commercial buildings doing stock checks of items inside stores or taking photos to show how competing brands are placed on shelves so you're a spy number three roadie user-generated shipping app kind of like uber or lyft for your stuff you can use it as a shipper or as a driver so you can make money by delivering stuff number four fiverr a global online marketplace offering tasks and services beginning at a cost of $5 per job performed, which is where it gets its name. I wonder what kind of tasks it has. And the last one is Turo, 
a peer-to-peer car rental service app that has been called the Airbnb of cars. Hmm. So you could earn thousands of dollars a day by just renting out your stuff and listening to the RV Navigator podcast and doing small chores for busy people. Doing small chores. Would we ever use these? Probably not. But our listeners may be interested in hearing making, about these. Making pot. some extra money. Making some extra money, yes. That's uh, always of interest. So here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We are at the end of June and at the end of the podcast. We very much appreciate you listening, and we also want to have lots of feedback. We have plans for July that uh, include traveling, and we will be back with you at the end of the month before we leave for the Galapagos. Where we won't be in touch with anybody at all. (laughs) But we won't be doing the podcast either, so. That's good. Because we will be gone just the right amount of time so that we'll be back in time. We planned this trip perfectly. Yes, unlike other trips. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We love our listeners. We'd like to hear from you. Send us questions, send us stories, uh, give us material for future podcasts. And We've been at, at this a long time. And look at the calendar photo. Ooh, <laughs> see if you how you like it. Thank you for listening. Bye now. Happy travels. Bye.